BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. There you are. You've almost made it to the peak of the holiday season and the end of the year. Yes, it's pouring rain. Yes, Omicron darkens the horizon. But you know what we'll always have? Books. A book to curl up with as you listen to the latest atmospheric river pound the roof. A book to keep you company when family overwhelms or cancels their trip. A book you toss across the room in disgust or can't put down. So yes, today, our last live show of the year, we'll be talking about our favorite books of the year. We've got booksellers and authors to give some last-minute recommendations. And of course, we want to hear about the books you loved. So pour another copy. Stay tuned. We're talking the year in books after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal, and welcome to our 2021 Best Book Show. The world continues to shudder and wobble onward into the 2020s. And as they have for centuries, people keep making beautiful sentences and gluing them together between covers. To help us orient ourselves to the year in books, I want to introduce our excellent panel. But I do want to say before we begin that the New York Times is reporting that acclaimed writer... Sacramento native Joan Didion passed away at age 87. An incredible inspiration, an amazingly good writer. Um, a little later in the show, perhaps we'll give, give some recommendations for people who might want to get started um, on her work. Really sad news in the book world. Um, so let's get to our panel. This is going to be a, a fun last show, despite the sad news about Joan Didion. Um, First, I want to introduce Vanessa Waugh, columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle and author of Deceit and Other Possibilities, A River of Stars, and the forthcoming novel, Forbidden City. Welcome to the show, Vanessa. Excited to be on today. Great. We also have Josiah Luis Aldrete, a poet and co-founder of Medicines for Nightmares, a bookstore in San Francisco's Mission District. Welcome, Josiah. Buenos dias, everybody. How you doing? Buenos dias. We also have Brad Johnson, owner of East Bay Booksellers. You may know him as Ahab Lives on Twitter, but in real life, he lives in Oakland. Welcome, Brad. Hey, everybody. Good morning. And of course, we do want to hear from you. Kind of first two call outs are around your favorite book of the year of 2020. Uh, If you want to share that with people, the one you just can't help but want other people to know about, or maybe you got a last minute 
gift recommendation. You need you need these booksellers and Vanessa to help you uh, with a last minute gift. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, of course, KQED Forum. Or you can email those recommendations or that burning desire for a recommendation to forum at kqed.org. So let's first start, uh, Josiah, let's start with you. Uh, favorite book of 2021, if you can do that. Ooh, favorite, like absolute favorite, not like the top five. but the No, favorite. no, no, just the, the one that's personal, like your one where you were like, this is this is the book for me this year. Well, um, again, that's going to be a tough one. But um, if you if you put a gun to my head and ask me immediately which one was the one uh, this year, I would probably have to say Gordo. Uh, really book of short stories by Jaime Cortez um for so many reasons that the, they're um they're these small vignettes these stories about this young uh queer brown boy growing up in Watsonville um and they're heartbreaking and they're hilarious and they're enraging and they're, they just there's so many emotions through the book yeah. um and it just no matter what happens at the end you feel something good you know mm-hmm. for me right now with the pandemic literature more than ever is medicine for us. Right. So we read to like keep going and we also read to, to inspire us, you know, and, and, and Jaime's book has all those feels. Um, Gordo, 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 Gordo. (laughs) I'll second that one. I also really liked that book. Um, and, and, and thought it was really kind of a world that has been underrepresented in literature. I mean, not just, you know, in the sort of like Chicano Latino canon, but just like this very specific slice of, of life here in California. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's funny for me because, you know, with, with, when it came out, um, there were all these comparisons, you know, what with it being Watsonville, you know, people were dropping Steinbeck in there all the time. The Steinbeck, Steinbeck, you know, and I was like, this is, this isn't Steinbeck. This is a whole <laughs> other thing. Like, I mean, respect to Steinbeck, right. Mucho respeto, pero, um, you know, Jaime, Jaime is showing us a world that, that hasn't been wrapped in literature at all, you know, and, uh, and and he's done it in such a beautiful, affectionate way, um, you know. And if you ever get a chance to hear Jaime read any of these stories, it's a whole other level. Like he he does these voices. He becomes Gordo. I mean, he is Gordo, but he becomes Gordo, you know. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, I can't recommend the book enough. It'll, it'll warm. It'll warm your, your corazón. That's for sure. <laughs> Vanessa, columnist for San Francisco Chronicle, as well as an author in your own right. Favorite book, 2021, gave you some time to think about it. Yes. Um, I, I, again, I, and I, I think I'll just say it's the one I've been thinking about most lately, rather than bestowing it favorite. Because <laughs> it's like saying which of uh, someone asking, like, who's your favorite child? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to recommend Tastes Like War by Grace M. Cho. Now, I know a lot of people, including myself, loved Michelle Zauner's Crying in H Mart, um, which is uh, about uh, the, the biracial uh, Korean American star of um, Japanese breakfast. So Grace, and, and she grew up in rural Oregon. Grace uh, Grace's book is set in rural Washington. And it's also about her relationship with her mother who uh, suffered trauma during the Korean War. Later, that trauma um, triggered her schizophrenia. Um, But there, it's just all these beautiful uh, uh, chapters about the the relationship she is able to to forge and kind of bring her mother out um, through cooking. And um, during the pandemic, I 
got really into foraging. If you ever meet me, you'll, you'll, I'll talk your ear off about it. And I was delighted to discover how her mother sort of made her way for a time foraging for mushrooms and berries and how she transformed herself from sort of the, the town oddity to someone um, with, uh, with uh, social and financial capital. Um, all that was really inspiring and, and beautifully told. So uh, Tastes Like War by Grace M. Cho. That's great. You also mentioned uh, Crying at H Mart, which was a forum staff pick as well uh, this year. Brad Johnson, owner of East Bay Booksellers, favorite book of 2021. Oh, um, always a difficult question. The question asked every day, though, uh, <laughs> when you're working at a bookstore. <laughs> um, and every day I have a new answer. Um, today, my answer is um, uh, Harsha Walia's uh, book, uh, Border and Rule. Hmm. Uh, published by Haymarket earlier in this year. It's the book that I will return to uh, regularly. It's a, it's a work of nonfiction, um, and it's a, a very deep analysis of the logic of borders um, and the, the, the inherent violence that occurs by way of that logic, as well as the policing of that logic, as well as the physical policing of the border. Uh, Walia is a fantastic researcher, very solid writer as well. The distillation of the sheer amount of research that she puts into this book is impressive in its own right, but it's also just a really, just an incendiary analysis of what I regard as the, the fundamental issue uh, going forward uh, in, in sort of our world today, and that mm -hmm. is uh, Borders. Strong recommendation. Um, I get to play this game too, so I am going to do my fave books published in 2021, but I'm going to do two of them just because they're uh, a little bit different. Um, first, it's kind of like the obvious one, at least to me, which was Gary Steingart's Our Country Friends, which I thought was just a tremendous novel. I love Gary's work for 20 years, and it just felt like it both took on his themes, but also like highlighted his growth probably as a person, but certainly as a writer. Um, and it's kind of the one, you know, a lot of the reviews of that book said basically, you know, this is kind of the one book from this, let's call it now, not even the late pandemic period or early, but like kind of mid pandemic period that you'd actually want to read about uh, a group of friends in upstate New York. And if you know, Gary's kind of, uh, self-referential style, a somewhat Gary Steingart-like character, um, has purchased a sort of country retreat and what happens as the pandemic breaks upon them. But I also wanted to give a shout out for a very different kind of book and a very unusual one that I think really showcased a lot of what is interesting and fun about books right now. A book called Seek You by Kristen Radke. It's a graphic novel, I guess. It's a piece of nonfiction graphic <laughs> memoir. I don't even know exactly what to call it, but the illustrations are absolutely tremendous. We had her on the show, and I remember when I first opened up the book, I just thought to myself, like, this is so good, like 10 pages in. Um, and I not only remember some of the words, but I also remember some of the incredible scenes um, that she created there. Um, let's, Brad, I want to ask you about a book that you didn't like, but you thought was worth reading. Like wow. a book that you don't love, but you're like, you know what? That was, I, I, I gained something from that, even if I didn't like it. A uh, book that I didn't love that, that's a tough one because I, I 
I don't finish books that I that I don't like. Actually, I mean, I'm I'm an inveterate uh, just dabbler and dipper into books, and and it's got to it's got to string me along. Um, I will say that a book that I'm I'm really happy is doing well, and that I wanted to like more than what I did, but I'm but I'm very happy that others are finding a lot from it. Is uh, Mitchell Mitchell Schwarzer's Hellatown. Uh-huh. Um, I wanted I wanted I don't more of a critical sort of view of, of things. Um, and I didn't find that as much in there as, as maybe what I would want, but that's, that's just my own sort of political yeah. bend. Um, but I'm very happy that I read it because I'm always looking for good Oakland East Bay history because I'm not from here. Um, and so I'm just always rooting around mostly in the university press catalogs, looking for something <laughs> uh, that will help me identify, you know, ways to, of, of finding some roots in the area, even though I've been out here for 15 years now. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, Hellatown is, was, was super valuable in terms of, of providing me context. Uh, I didn't love it. Uh, others certainly have. Yeah. Hell, you know, as someone who's been working on a book of Oakland history for about five years now, I, I really appreciate the role that Hellatown fills. Like a, a city needs a book, like a single volume book that's kind of like, here's roughly what has happened in this city's development through time. And those books are almost by necessity are going to be more encyclopedia-like or more atlas-like than they're going to be usually, you know, kind of uh, a gripping page turner. I thought for that, and in terms of highlighting the proper use of sources, which Mitchell Schwarzer really did, and and the bibliography for that book is also tremendous if you want to learn more about Oakland. We're talking about favorite books from 2021 with Vanessa Waugh, columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, Josiah Luis Alderete, poet and co-founder of Medicines for Nightmares, a bookstore in San Francisco's Mission District, and Brad Johnson, owner of East Bay Booksellers in Oakland. You can check out our forum staff picks for favorite books, as well as a list of our book club picks from last year on our website at kqed.org forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the year in books 2021. We're joined by Brad Johnson, owner of East Bay Booksellers in Oakland. Vanessa Waugh, columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle and author of Deceit and Other Possibilities, A River of Stars, and watch out for this one, the forthcoming novel, Forbidden City. We also have Josiah Luis Alderete, poet and co-founder of Medicine for Nightmares. One of the best bookstore names that I've heard. <laughs> Just, I really love it. Um, and we do want to hear from you. Do you need a book recommendation? 
or do you want to tell us about your favorite book this year? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your recommendations, your questions to forum at kqed.org. Vanessa, I'm coming to you with a listener comment. Tyler writes, Grandma has had a rough year. Do you have any optimistic, easy reading? You know, it, it, it's funny that uh, that you uh, the question is uh, something that, um, you know, people, I think, ask, like, uh, I think writers often enjoy really sad books. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Like, I loved it. Books. It made me cry. I hated life for a week. Yeah. Exactly. This this has me shook or I'm wrecked. And then that's actually high praise. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, let me see. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little floored, uh, because I'm trying to think about, um, I mean, do you think she wants a happy ending or? Yeah, I think we need a happy ending for, if that's happy. If that's possible. We can also Um, pause. We can ask, maybe Josiah has one. Do you have a happy, optimistic read? I'm going to love it if we go around the horn and everyone's like, nope, nothing. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, actually, um, it is. I'm, I'll, I'll tell you a book that does. My, my kids loved it, actually. Um, it has a happy ending, but it is it is middle grade. So I don't know if grandma would be into that or should I just, should I just yeah, say Yeah, just it? shout it out. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. Um, the Samosa Rebellion by Bay Area author Shanti Sakerin. Um, it's set in the sort of lightly speculative uh like uh, near future. Um, but my, uh, one of my sons read it and immediately said, I, I hope she writes a sequel. So, mm. yeah. What do you think? And often, and often, um, often YA books do have a happy or at least hopeful ending. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Josiah, you want to give it a, a crack at a happy optimistic book or optimistic easy read, I think was the exact <laughs> ask. I'm just laughing. I'm still laughing at Vanessa's comment about the sad. Uh, we do we do have a tendency to go that direction a lot of times with, with the literature, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, I wish I knew more about grandma, uh, what she was reading before, you know, so I, I could recommend something. But I mean, a lot of times, you know, we read literature just to forget a little bit, you know, so to take a little break. Uh, so, I mean, I'm just going to go with some of the classic stuff that often has sad things in the in the book itself, but they're just beautiful descriptions. I mean, tell grandma to read some Gabriel Garcia Marquez, mm. you know, tell her to read mm-hmm. 100 Years of Solitude, uh, get her mind off her troubles a little bit, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, that's always just the descriptions and the beauty in that, you know, and the humor in it, too. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Give absorbing grandma, yeah yeah give grandma an illustrated copy of 100 years of solitude see, see what happens yeah. <laughs> uh, well actually i thought of a book but it's not from this year it's from last year I, I think that's okay it's all yeah. i mean you know 2022 yeah um, a grandma yeah. will love this um amy nukumatatil's world of wonders um it she's a poet but she wrote these short essays and each essay is illustrated on and anything's from uh, fireflies to certain plants. Um, and it's, it's, it it, uh, touches upon the sort of, uh, deeper, bigger issues, but is also, um, not only hopeful, but also a call to action. So, uh, world of wonders. Love it. Brad Johnson. Another way we could take this one would be, what about a book about a nature book? 
um, something like that, something that has more of that, that feel of rich description of the natural world? Um, well, there's, there are definitely, I was telling someone the other day and I say it repeatedly that I do feel like we're in a bit of a golden age, a new golden age of solid nature writing, just, um, you know, and the revival of some stuff that had maybe been lost along the way, like J.A. Baker's The Peregrine, which I've described as the Moby Dick of bird books. Um, <laughs> although it's only like 180 pages. So you, you and there's no, there's no sea Well, that makes total sense though. Birds, yeah. small, yeah. Yeah, light, exactly. airy. Yeah. Um, there's a wonderful book that came out, but by the same publisher, uh, a New York review of books uh, as The Peregrine, uh, Natasha Martin's In the Eye of the Wild, which snuck up on me i it sounded interesting when i learned of it and then i got a copy and it just blew me away um it uh, tells the story of a a french anthropologist who's attacked by a bear and and it in the course of that attack and what follows the hospital uh the identification that she begins to have with the natural world as a result of this and again, this is this is uh, this is a, a work of nonfiction, but it's very creatively told nonfiction, and the the animism that that she expresses is is a it's a very Western sensibility of, of animism, but it's also um, it's 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 an interesting sort of intrusion, uh, if I can use that word, uh, of the natural world into the into the the human the the the, mm-hmm. the, the less than just natural. Um, and, and it, it opens up ways of seeing life. And I think that like, in many respects, we as a people, human beings are seeing some of the limitations of our own ways of constructing our world. And we're looking at the natural world, um, the more than human world and seeing maybe not things that we can do, but mob general models. Yeah. And uh, Martin's book doesn't necessarily do that on, an, on a sort of a, an easy uh, analogy level, but it's really, really exciting. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed that. And similarly, uh, Amitav uh, Ghosh's The Nutmeg's Curse, which mm-hmm. is another book that there's a lot of nature writing in that, but it's also more deeply sort of critical in the sociological sense and also historical sense about how colonialism um, uh, infects our our use and our abuse of of nature, as well as those peoples who are most linked to nature, and how this has profound knock on effects um, in the present tense as well as the future tense and possible future tenses. So wow, that's very. I want to add in one listener comment uh, along these same lines. Martine writes. Charles Hood's book of witty, wry essays that look at nature aslant, especially at how we categorize and represent the non-human world. I believe it's called A Salad Only the Devil Would Eat the Joys of Ugly Nature. And one last uh, grandma recommendation, also uh, listener to listener here. Joan writes, Go Tell the Bees That I Am Gone by Diana Gabaldon. It is the ninth book in what the author anticipates will be a 10-book series, Bees, as it is called for short, I assume in the fandom here, is like visiting with old friends and catching up on what's been going on in their lives. Let's bring in David from Berkeley. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, Yeah, one of your um, uh, folks who are um, uh, talking about needing um, to find books about the history of the Bay Area. 
And there's one beautiful book that's quite obscure. People don't know about it. They really should. It's called A Tale of Two Bridges by uh, uh, Stephen uh, Mikesell. And it's offensively, it's about the building of the uh, Bay Bridge in 1936 and then the rebuilding in uh, 2013. But it covers the whole story of how uh, Bay Area neighborhoods got established. It's a sociological look at how they came about and 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 gives a whole backstory to the to uh, the building of the bridges and the political um, uh, structures of the communities uh, in the early 20th century and the later 20th century that uh, brought about the building of the bridges the way that they did. It's it's a fascinating look at uh, Bay Area history through the microcosm of just looking at the Bay Bridge. That sounds. Excellent. A Tale of Two Bridges by Stephen Mikefell. Is that what the name was? That's right. M- yeah. M-I-K-E-S-E-L-L. Wow, that sounds so good. I actually have uh, have not uh, uh, run into that one in all my time of trying to... Uh, of, of trying to find um, Great Bay Area history. So that is really a, a tremendous recommendation. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. I found it on the bookshelf over at um, the museum in Berkeley, Berkeley Art Museum. Um, yeah. I picked it up. I couldn't stop reading. I finally bought it. Okay. Thank All you. right. Hey, thanks so much. Wanted to ask you, uh, Josiah, how, you know, there, in the in the book world, there was this enormous trend towards... Uh, these like kind of tell-alls about the Trump administration or just like this kind of political world at all. For for a bookshop like yours, was that something that was really happening or or not? Was it something that just kind of passed by? Uh, we prefer to let it pass by, honestly. <laughs> yeah, as quickly as that could pass, we're going to let it pass. But yeah, we, uh, yeah, yeah. Honestly, we, we let that pass right by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about you, Brad? Can you avoid that at East Bay Booksellers? Um, not as much as I would like to avoid it, but um, we more often than not will uh, not feature it. Uh, we'll order nearly anything in. Uh, there are even limits on that, and for like for for individual customers who request things. But uh, yeah, it just it really just got a bit much. I mean, not yeah. not even a bit much. It got a lot much. And, <laughs> uh, like yeah. the the Trump the Trump and you know sort of doom industry. Um, to me, the, the 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 reality of all that, you know, the ongoing headlines of all, all that w- was enough. I don't know that we needed this the thousands of pages of books um, going into further detail on it saying effectively the same thing every single book so uh we got uh we thought it was not helpful and so yeah we didn't feature it yeah yeah um that was a listener dan said not favorite in the classic sense but maybe a special notice for the new genre of the quote-unquote former guys administration biopsies let's bring in uh lupe from san jose welcome to the show thank you I, I absolutely love this one book I got picked up from the neighborhood little books, little library. Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised because I'd never heard of this book. And it's called I Love You Are for Americans. And it's this page turner. I mean, it's, it's a memoir, but it's a page turner about a coming of age of a young Vietnamese boy. And the opening scene is they're, they're flying. I mean, they're running. He's running with his father to catch a boat to escape or a plane or something. 
but then he grows up in L.A. and he he's uh, interacts with, with Chicano gangs. And I'm surprised he's still alive. And his father probably had a lot of trauma because there was a lot of violence. But it's just it's just a slice of a, a young boy's life, and then he becomes this successful guy. You know, it's yeah. always amazing the resilience. And um, if I could sneak in one more, this this is about local history, but of Texas. Uh, but I think it's Brownsville. Brownsville, uh, Texas. Really close, yeah. really close to the border, and it's it's a book called The Boy Kings of Texas a Memoir by Domingo Martinez. And um, it's 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 also a memoir, but it's it's just really highlights, you know, again, class, you know, r- being raised poor being raised by people who've been traumatized and then the way it gets played out and the way he handles it. And it's also very good. Very yeah. good. Not as, not as gripping as the, I, I love, love you for, for white people. For America. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for America. For, I think it's called, for I love you for white people. Is that what it's called? Um, I don't, yeah. I don't remember, but I know. Yeah. The first, first time I printed it by your side, I love you. So I didn't understand the title. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for that, uh, Lupe. Vanessa, I, I wanted to ask you about this. It does seem, you know, this has obviously been a theme on our show. It's been a theme in my life that this, the second generation kind of story, you know, whether it's like Ocean Vong or, or other people, people who are kind of growing up in the States trying to make peace with their sort of ancestral cultures as well as the hierarchies of the United States is really, the, these books are coming out often with a kind of startling power and specificity. Do you have any others like that that you might want to recommend? Well, sure. And I I can recommend um, several, actually. So uh, poet uh, Jenny Chi, um, she, uh, her, her book of poetry, her debut is called Focal Point. She's both um, a scientist, daughter of Chinese immigrants and it's really beautiful. It's about grief and mourning and sort of looking at things through the, the lens of science um, through, you know, her extremely lyrical poetry. Um, I also loved um, Melinda Lowe's and uh, Melinda Lowe's um, Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which is set mm. in San Francisco's Chinatown and is about a, a lesbian love story with t- teenagers in sort of 1950s during the Red Scare. Um, and it won the YA National Book Award, I believe. And um, it also brings in sort of um, the character's parents' uh, voices, um, excerpts of that. And so um, obviously San Francisco Chinatown is such a huge cultural uh, center and jumping off point for new immigrants, you know, for the last, for, for, for generations. And so it was, that was really well done. Um, and then one more, um, uh, Nevo's The Chosen and the Beautiful is mm. a retelling of the great Gatsby from the point of view of Jordan Baker, but only in this version, she's half Vietnamese. And it's also a world with demons and magic. Gatsby has literally, <laughs> yeah, he literally made a deal with the devil. <laughs> that sounds extremely good. Um, I've also heard amazing things um, about Last Night at the Telegraph Club. Seems like everyone who reads that book just absolutely loves it. Um, want to get to a few other uh, reader recommendations. Uh, D writes, 
recommendation here. The Cruelty is the Point by Adam Serwer, old friend and colleague of mine. This book of essays is an essential read for anyone interested in thinking and reading about what kind of country we want the U.S. to be and the cultural forces that have brought us to where we are. Clear, excellent writing and observations. And Serwer is just a monster historian and thinker, just such a such a great writer. Jerdy writes, After Parties by Anthony Biasno So, Growing Up Queer and Cambodian in Stockton, another book that I've heard tremendous things about. It's kind of unusual to get a uh, posthumous cover. <laughs> I think it was New York Magazine, is that right? Uh, he was on the cover of, pretty amazing. And also uh, Pamela writes La Rose by Louise Erdrich, wonderful Native American female author, I love her characters. I'm still thinking about a sequence of events towards the end of the book Many these many months later. And one more uh, wrap-up on California history. The most memorable book I read this year is a memoir ode to Eastern California Miracle Country by Kendra Atleywork. This is Miss Atleywork's first book, and she captures the people and their deep connection with the mountains and desert in the sparsely populated side of California. Painfully honest at times, not an easy read. I would actually drop one in there in the not an easy read and painfully honest category, a book that my wife actually recommends to me, thanks Sarah, uh, called The Breaks by Juliet Singh, which we've both been reading and finding ourselves talking a ton about, even though I'm not sure that I actually love the book. <laughs> um, we're talking about favorite books from 2021 with Vanessa Waugh, columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle and author of Deceit and Other Possibilities, A River of Stars, and watch out for this forthcoming novel, Forbidden City. We also have Josiah Luis Alderete, poet and co-founder of Medicine for Nightmares, a bookstore in San Francisco's Mission District, and Brad Johnson, owner of East Bay Booksellers in Oakland. Want you to know for sure we have forum staff picks for favorite books, as well as a list of our book club picks for the last year on our website at kqed.org slash forum. And we do want to hear from you. What was the best book you read in 2021 and what did you love about it? And are there any books that you've just been buying for everyone on your holiday gift list? We'd love to hear about those. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, KQED Forum and Forum. At kqed.org, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. the next hour with Mina Kim. What makes a good holiday movie? Hallmark, Lifetime, Netflix, and other outlets are offering viewers hundreds of new titles and airing classics like It's a Wonderful Life. We'll talk about why holiday movies are so popular, hear from you about your favorites, and answer the burning question, is Die Hard a holiday movie? I think yes. For the latest updates on our programs and guests, follow us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, or KQED Forum. And let me tell you, the movie we watched most often around the holidays in my family was Brazil. Explains a lot, no?
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the year in books with an all-star panel here. And, of course, with you. I want to talk with uh, Patricia in San Jose. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, I was wondering if you're, if you're taking recommendations for books in Spanish. Yeah. And so, uh, okay. Well, I have a great one that's received a bunch of awards. And it's a wonderful, wonderful book called Volver la Vista Atrás. Um, it's a line from a poem by Machado and roughly translates as to, to look back. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, by um, Colombian writer Jorge Luis Vasquez. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a book of nonfiction, but it reads like a novel that you can't put down. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely riveting about um, it's about a, a Colombian filmmaker and his life, essentially, but it really reads like a novel. His whole life was shaped by history, starting by starting with the Spanish Civil War that forced his father to leave Spain, move to Colombia, and how that has shaped um, his upbringing. Um, the family. I mean, I don't want to say much about yeah. that. You really have to read it. I don't want to spoil it, but it's really fascinating you can't believe that this man has lived the life this way um jorge and, luis vasquez yeah, yeah that's the jorge, uh, yes yes and yeah yeah i think it's yeah i think i'm saying it right um it's volver la vista atrás so t- to look back yeah. basically and it's received a bunch of awards if if people don't believe me but the <laughs> one that i've been giving to to everybody is by another colombian writer uh, Hector Abad Faciolince, and it's El Olvido Que Seremos. The, the, it's, it's impossible to translate, I think. It's something like the, the oblivion that we will be. It's a line from, from a 17th century poet. It's also a book of nonfiction that reads like a novel based on the author's father's life um, as a doctor in Colombia. Um, both are immensely readable. My kids have read, read them. Uh, my friends, I've given them to everybody. And they are just fascinating nonfiction books that I recommend to, from abuelas to teenagers. <laughs> are, you, uh, are you Colombian or you just love Colombian writers? No, no, I, I am Spanish. I'm from Spain, mm-hmm. but I read everything. Um, if you want another book in Spanish, Las Cosas Que Perdimos en el Fuego, Things We Lost in the Fire, by this amazing Argentinian writer, uh, Mariana Enriquez. 
my daughter read it, and she's a teenager who hardly ever talks to me. But um, <laughs> after she read the book, she wanted to to have a discussion about it. Yeah. And it's an adult book. I read it in a book club here in in uh, in, in California. Yeah. So. Yeah, there you go. Patricia, thank you so much. Yeah, that's (laughs) wonderful. Thank you for those recommendations. Um, And I wanted to uh, just say, I know that you've been reading a lot of uh, dystopian fiction coming out of Mexico. Well, we're on this theme. You want to toss a few of those out? Uh, Yeah, well, uh, not specifically Mexico, but um, there's a lot of fiction coming out of Latin America, dystopian fiction, right? Because that's kind of where we're at. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but um, I'm a real fan of uh, Paula. Or oh, let me see here. Oops, sorry about that. Um, yeah, there's there's um, Dark Constellations is a book, and I'm 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 shamelessly uh, spacing on the author's name. She's Paula. Man, yeah, Paula. But yeah, that was that was the one that I was reading last year. Um, also. Charco Press puts out a lot of uh, books by translation in uh, by Latin American authors, and there's a lot of lot, lot of fiction worth checking out on that press. Um, yeah, yeah, but but uh, Dark Constellations is the Dark one. Dark Constellations, cool. Yeah, that's that's one of the ones that um, it's the stuff that frightens you, but you keep reading it because it seems like a reflection of um, what's going on, you know, yeah, here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, that, that that that's the one that I would I would recommend. A lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brad Johnson, you know, obviously the dystopian fiction trend uh, is not confined to Latin America. Um, Do you think it has, does it seem like it continues to have the kind of strength that it has over over the last couple of years? Um, I don't, no, no, in a word. Mm, That's Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I mean, I think that there are... Definitely, I think uh, what Josiah uh, is saying about the, the specifically Latin American writers, I think they're doing it in very interesting ways and in very lived ways. Um, and uh, and those examples are fantastic. In you, American writers uh, of fiction, uh, I'm not seeing, I mean, readers as well, it's, I'm not seeing it as much in terms of sort of staying power. One exception would be Joy Williams' latest book, uh, Harrow, which is like a, a, a very literary take, American literary take on uh, apocalyptic literature. Um, very, and she she brings like a, a lot of humor to it, uh, which makes it even more dark uh, because it's a very sort of steely-eyed, uh, wry assessment of the mess that we have made um, uh, and 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 to where things are going, but. I'm seeing a lot uh, from like the young adult perspective, as well as the adult uh, readership of fiction, a lot more interest in relationships. Hmm. Um, And uh, so there's this rise in the independent bookstore world. And it's not a new thing in the book world, but in sort of our world of romances Um, in the young, in the young adult world in particular, I'm seeing talking like in the Jasmine Guillory or you were talking about like Jasmine uh, Guillory, but yeah, but also, you know, uh, uh, Emily Henry. I mean, there's a, there's, I mean, it's, you have the romantic comedy stuff, but then like you also have fantastic stuff uh, like in the young adult world where it's looking at uh, queer romances. Um, and 
I'm just sensing that there are more readers who they've lived various dystopia, right? And they're, <laughs> right. they're looking for an articulation of the relationships that are going to get them through whatever might be happening or whatever might have happened to them. And there's been this wonderful sort of groundswell, certainly in, in my store, of, of people eager to find not just relationships that, that match theirs, but maybe relationships to which they aspire or relationships they want to learn more about. And I'm finding that, it, maybe it's just more interesting to me. I'm finding that more interesting uh, to observe and to talk to people about than the, um, the the dystopian stuff. Right, yeah. You don't need a breakdown on how things fall apart because you're watching it <laughs> every day, all day. Instead, it's like, how do you how do you pick things up? How do you put your life together with the people around you? That, make, that makes a ton of sense to me, just, you know, conceptually. Uh, Vanessa, Nancy writes... My youngest is happier on TikTok than reading. She's 24 and enjoys nonfiction with a feminine adventure theme. What do you recommend? And if if nothing, we can go to uh, one of our booksellers. Right, right. But I just wanted to add one thing to the conversation about dystopia. I don't sure. know if anyone else has seen Matrix uh, Resurrections, but ultimately, in the end, in this this tale, or maybe even the whole quartet, it's a love story, right? Um, but in Matrix Resurrections, it's also middle-aged people save the world. So I know it's sort of perhaps pandering <laughs> to people <laughs> my age. Um, but yeah, like even I want to put in that, like even in dystopia, that there is, uh, there we are capable of admiring um, and seeking love and beauty. Um, and I'll get to the reader question, but I also wanted to put in a plug for Rebecca Solnit's Orwell's Roses mm -hmm. along those lines, um, because it is... She makes a really, uh, she, she kind of uh, reveals this um, unknown uh, chapter of Orwell and sort of how being a, a gardener and raising uh, roses was instrumental to writing 1984 and how art and nature and beauty are all uh, forms of resistance. Um, so, so I'll just want to recommend that. But in terms of uh, feminist 24 year old TikToker. Um, I mean, I think she's already, this author is quite big on book talk um, and it's not a book from this year, but Madeline Miller's Circe, which is uh, the, the, it's a witch from the Odyssey, but it's told from her point of view. Um, and again, a, a plug for my love of foraging. It's there's there's all there's all this stuff about uh, witchcraft and, and foraging in the natural world, and um, it's also sort of a romance as well. So I think I think this uh, daughter would uh, really enjoy that. That sounds great. Let's bring in Rick from Richmond. Hello. Hey, Rick. How are you? Good. Good. What's your uh, pick? I am recommending The Dawn of Everything, A New History of Humanity by David Graeber and David Wingrow. Mm -hmm. uh, one's an archaeologist, the other is an anthropologist, and they are taking issue with the standard narrative about the development of civilization, which says hierarchy and dominance and violence are essential to the development of civilization. And they make some really compelling arguments about that just not being the case with lots of examples from every continent describing prehistorical societies that were not hierarchical, in which women were given the lead, 
Uh, it's just a fascinating book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very accessible in its language, although I would say you've got to look at the footnotes uh, <laughs> because that's about a third of the book. And a lot of them are Ibn and Opset kind of things, but they also have some footnotes that go two and three and even in one case five pages that add to their narrative. Uh, it's a long read, but it's really interesting, and it's hopeful in that uh, they say we do have within us the capacity to change everything. Yeah. Brad, um, I am almost sure this has been a popular book in your bookstore. Is that true? <laughs> yes, yes, to say the least. <laughs> I think I heard you say, like, uh, I hope they'd restock or something. I mean, like, you were, it was like a book that was literally flying off the shelves. Yeah. The, yeah, it ran out of stock at the publisher and, uh, so yeah, we we had to go without for a little bit. It uh, it is a massive book, uh, but uh, but like the caller says, it is accessible and it's also hopeful in its own way. Um, and yeah, happily, it's back in stock, and hopefully, uh, we can uh, you know keep it that way, and we can yeah. keep selling it because yeah. it is. I think it. I think it's it's an aspirational read in many respects, at least an aspirational finish. Uh, because it's like it's so long, but <laughs> no, I totally read Gravity. But you, but you, yeah. but you get the idea um, as you go along, and and it's I think it's a great book to to return to. So I am very happy though that they 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 were able to speed that reprint through. Uh, I was very concerned this year in particular. So. Well, and just wanted to say David Graeber, uh, who's one of the co-authors, or died. Uh, fairly recently and was really a, a, an inspiration for me getting into journalism at all uh, back uh, with a it's amazing how life works. He wrote a Harper's essay uh, in 2003, I believe, called Army of Altruists. And I read it and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to write things like this. Uh, and that's kind of how I ended up in this in this whole career. And so it was a real um, went on to organize Occupy Wall Street, not me, David Graeber. Um, and uh, just kind of a fascinating and um, really sad to, to lose him recently. Um, let's bring in uh, Kathy from Oakland. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, sure can, Kathy. Oh, okay. Um, the two books I want to recommend need no promotion because they're quite successful. But um, it, the first one is the uh, 1619 Project, which is history of this country, which you will not find in taught in schools. But the second one was so inspiring to me. It's S.A. Cosby's second book, uh, Razorblade Tears. Mm -hmm. And it talks about coming together of, it's it's two fathers, one black and white in the South, whose two um, gay sons who were married um, are murdered. So it's kind of a murder mystery. Mm-hmm. But um, these two fathers who are very polarly different, class, race, the only thing they have in common is they were both very homoph- homophobic and they came together to revenge their son's killing. Mm. And and so it's the coming together in, in race, in, in class, in in culture in homophobia and it to me it was very um he kind of covered many genres that this country really needs yeah. so i loved hey, it yeah thank I read you his for first that, one. i liked his first one 
But this one really stuck with me. Razor blade tears, as well as the 1619 Project. Thank you so much, Kathy. Wanted to give our uh, booksellers one last chance to uh, give a shout out to a book that you feel like is very underappreciated. And maybe we'll start with you, Josiah. Uh, let's see here. One of the, well, under, I don't know about underappreciated. I think people do appreciate it, but I think more people need to know about it. Um, the El Monte Chicana teacher, uh, Caribbean Fragosa put out a book, uh, short stories called eat the mouth that feeds you. Mm. They're amazing. Uh, cuentos, a lot of relationship stories between mother and daughter, abuela and sister whatnot. But, um, it's a, it's, it's a heavy, heavy, beautiful book. Uh, yeah, Eat the Mouth That Feeds You, Caribbean Fragosas, uh, Cuentos, Short Stories. Check it That's out. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Vanessa? Well, I just started reading it. Um, oh, I, and I, I loved, uh, I'm really uh, enjoying Kirsten Valdez Quaid's The Five Wounds. It's um, set in New Mexico, um, set around this time of year, actually, um, involves a father who's in a, who's Jesus in a procession and his pregnant daughter and his mother, who um, they just she just makes a, a shocking health discovery, um, and even though things are bleak, there's a real sort of um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, I'm just I'm really enjoying it. So, the Five Wounds by Kirsten Valdez Quaid. Beautiful. All right, Brad, you're up last. Uh, I would say Rachel Eisendrath's The Gallery of Clouds. Mm. Um, many people like talking about an ode to reading. Um, this is it. Um, uh, Rachel Eisendrath is a professor of English. Uh, this book is talking about her love affair of reading um, Sir Philip Sidney's 16th century romance, Arcadia. That sounds excruciatingly boring. However, um, <laughs> it's not because that book is so lush and it's, it's such that the plot is not the point, which is dear to me um, because I don't read novels for plot most of the time. And it's all about... Uh, reading as an act of just being immersed in the language and and it's 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 so non-pretentious I know the way I said it sounds so pretentious but Rachel Eisendrath's presentation is so worldly and wonderful um it's a book that did not get nearly as much exposure um uh, on, a, on a grander scale than I think it deserves and yeah. I, I desperately want people to see it uh it's fantastic a gallery of clouds gallery of clouds few last listener um Notes here. Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts by Prisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez. She breaks down U.S. intervention, colonialism, trauma, and resilience from a Central American feminist perspective. Corbin tweets, When we cease to understand the world, Benjamin Labatut just blew me away. Hard to describe, but great. Multiple votes also for Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. And a listener on Instagram wrote, Lulu Miller's Why Fish Don't Exist, a story of loss, love, and the hidden order of life. Thank you so much to our panelists, Vanessa Wad, Josiah, Luis Alderete, and Brad Johnson. Thanks for coming on the show, y'all. The 9 o'clock hour of Forum is produced by Tina Lauberg, Ariana Prail, and Blanca Torres with help this week from Grace Wan, Chris Beal, and Dan Zoll. Caroline Smith is our engagement producer, Judy Campbell's lead producer. Engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, Brendan Willard, Chris Hoff. Our interns are Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Ng. Our executive editor is Ethan Toven Linty, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour ahead. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.